Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Candid Frank Live Show, Leaf Talk Edition. With Candid Frank and David Morrison. they didn't look 
like they couldn't do anything in the playoffs. And many uh, use the term, well, you know, if they think they're just going to flip a switch, they've got another thing coming. Well, they appear to have flipped that switch, and they have switched uh, their style of play into being more of a cohesive team approach and also um, an effort by 99% of the team uh, to do whatever it takes to win. We saw an example that of that with Mitch Marner. And on the other side, on the reverse side, you've got a sleepy-eyed, un, um, unproductive, for the most part, almost appearing to be uninterested, William Nylander. It, does this Leaf team need William Nylander to play at, at a level that reflects the salary that he feels he deserves to win? And if he has another lackluster or makes another play that looks like he's not paying attention, will that cost the Leafs this time? Well, the one thing I'll say, yeah. I mean, you don't want him. It looks bad when he has those plays where he just, you know, lets a guy go past them. You don't want those, absolutely. But I also want the Nylander that set up Riley's first goal where he goes into the zone, does the cutback, passes to Riley, and, and that gives Riley – look how much space Riley had to shoot that puck past Rath. If, if Nylander doesn't take that puck, go down, turn and pass it to him, that goal never happens in game, one, in game number six. So what I want, and I think what Nylander needs to do, is you make the plays. You know, if you have those plays, you have to have another play that, you know, backs it up or that negates it. That's what he needs to do. You know, he needs to make the plays with the puck. Because let's be real, Patrick Marlon, Connor Brown, I think the issue right now is there's no confidence that they're going to be able to get anything done offensively, um, especially Brown, you know, when he had that chance in game, I think, I want to say, actually, yeah, it was game six, where he shoots it at Rask, and Rask makes that nice save. It was in game four. You know, plays like that, it's really hard to trust your line mates if they're not, you know, coming through for you. You know, it's a, it's a you know, it's, a, it's that unit that's just not producing. I know he's the center, and he's the one that's supposed to drive the line. He's supposed to lead the line. But there's only so much one mm-hmm. player can do if the whole line isn't producing. And he needs to set, mm-hmm. I think, set the tone a bit more. I think you're right in that he can't have those plays where he doesn't look you know, all you know, engaged in what's going on in the play. I agree with that. But he also needs to, you know, when he's skating down the puck and he's making some really nice passes, other guys have to, you know, take advantage of that. Because what's Boston going to do? They're going to try to eliminate Nylander because they know that Brown and Marlowe just aren't having, you know, they're not having the effort or the, you know, production. They're not a threat. They're not a threat. They're not a threat. They're there not a go. threat. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, well, uh, I don't quite agree that they're not a threat, but what I do agree with is they they have less threat in them than some of the other players on the Leafs team exactly. that are on the on other lines. And so, so you know, uh, to put it, to put it in perspective, so that I can agree with you, my my problem, you know, I guess what this boils down to is, uh, you know, the 
not to not to uh, initiate and or bring back the let's beat on Gardner uh, mantra, but the fact is, Nylander is much like Gardner. You know, if I'm to be fair here and and be the devil's advocate to, to both our conversations, I guess it's fair to say that Gardner offers more on the plus side than he does on the negative side and enough offers enough on the plus side that maybe you should, you know, emphasize less the negative when it comes to Gardner. It appears to me, at least anyway, that William Nylander is entering into that stratosphere of where the guy is an enigma. The guy is, he, he, he's frustrating. He, he's the kind of, uh, of player that maybe or maybe not can frustrate a coach. I know that in Gardner's case, publicly, Babcock feels very highly of him when he talks. But the fact is, Gardner now is not, you know, a top three defenseman as he has been in the past. He is now maybe a top five defenseman based on whether it's health or whether it's confidence the coach has in him. He has now found himself into that position where the Leafs do not rely on him. And by the Leafs, I mean Coach Babcock. He's the guy that decides who plays where and when. Uh, and and I just think that Nylander is starting to become perilously close to that. And unfortunately, in the case of Gardner, the Leafs can just say, you know, they don't have to say they don't want him. They don't have to trade him. They don't have to jettison him in any way or fashion. They just go by the the political statement that we can't afford them. Uh, you know that saves uh, that, that saves feelings, uh, and 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 it allows Gardner to move on, and the Leafs get a chance to maybe find a defenseman as good as Gardner is and can be, uh, but also has the ability to be more consistent and be a lot more mistake free. And this is the problem with Nylander. You just signed him. Seven years, I think, isn't it? Now you've got uh, this guy for seven years. Six? Okay, sorry. Thanks. Well, so five more uh, you've years. You've got him now for year. six years. Yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. Five more years after this one. It's five more years than you have to put up with Gardner, who some feel is a, you know is not um, the perfect defenseman. Uh, you know, as much as he has positives, you know, his negatives do enter into the picture. But the difference is the Leafs can walk away at no cost when it comes to, you know, um, having to give him up. Whereas it's getting to the point, I'm not really sure that even if the Leafs want to trade Nylander, I don't think they'll get any kind of value for him by virtue of the way he's playing. Having said that, on the other side, I promised the devil's advocate here, most of the time Nylander's playing in the offensive zone. He does have an innate ability to bring the puck out of the zone and get it either in the neutral zone or spend some time in the offensive zone. That, you can't be ignored. That fact is subtle, one that maybe the coach might not appreciate or does, one that, you know, a person that's into statistics like the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs may point out to people. So, you know, it is, it is one of those situations, and, and I did refer to him as an enigma. His play, for sure, uh, is enigmatic. I, 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 there's no doubt about it that there's a there's a high and low factor when it comes to him, David. 
Men can at least count on him to be high today, be on the high side, and maybe help score that winning goal and uh, win the game, and then all is forgiven. And maybe not only all is forgiven, but maybe he gets some confidence, because that's what this is about, I think, more than anything. Part of the lackadaisical attitude in, on his part, I think, is because he doesn't believe he can do anything. That puck he looked down at, that went in his feet and went by, that he could have played, where he had a shot, there was no Bruin behind him or around him, looked like a play where he goes, well, I can't do anything with this, and he let it go. I don't know. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think it was, you know, the puck goes into his feet, which, I mean, if we know any hockey player, that's a tough play to make because you got to kick it around and you're trying to rush it. I think yeah, I think there is a lack of confidence with that with not with that entire group, and I think it starts with him because you know when you saw when he scored that goal in game one, just the look you know it just just the look on his face of you know relief. this is yeah relief, <laughs> and let's be real, he has a thirty thirty nine year old Patrick Marlowe on his line. And you would think that having a veteran like him would help get a guy like Nylander, you know, say, okay, you know what? What happened the last few games doesn't matter. Just go out and do what you know you can do. And I, maybe that's happening. We don't know. But I think that's something that's missing. I will say the one thing I'm glad about with that line is when they're on the ice, they're at least not being victimized with how many goals are being scored on them. And that has been a uh, well, an issue, uh, you know, with other lines, I will say. Well, that's that's part of the game, right? And, and, and we've discussed yeah. this uh, repeatedly, and, and, and it happens all the time, where I think we both agree, and we just had that conversation with Nylander, referring to the fact that not every player plays well all the time. Not every player has a positive impact on the game every time. Not every player has the ability to move the puck. All these things add up to a hockey player. And and if we think, if I think that a player will not make mistakes, cannot make mistakes, and doesn't make mistakes, that's a pretty large task for a for a player and a team to meet. One only need look back at Winnipeg and Calgary. The other two teams that were in the playoffs that are now eliminated. Those teams lost primarily, we can agree or disagree, but I'm going to say primarily because the big guys didn't produce. Now, having said that, and you said this every time we've had this conversation about the Leafs, your big line probably ends up being neutralized, especially if you decide to play them against the other team's big line. So the real problem with Winnipeg and Calgary, people thought it was Calgary's goaltending that would betray them. It wasn't. I don't think anybody will suggest that Calgary's goaltending was an issue. But I do think that their stars were outplayed by the Avalanche stars. And unfortunately for Winnipeg, this is the irony, I think Winnipeg lost because they were outworked by the opposition, St. Louis. And that, to me, was the strength of Winnipeg. Size, strength, speed. And it was negated. So with the Leafs using 
looking at those two series, we see that Tavares is not really producing points-wise. But I don't think either of us would say he's playing badly. No, As you said, I, many times. I wouldn't say that either. What I would say is, and the reason, yeah, I think... Okay. No, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with your point. I think we'll have something similar. Go ahead. What I'll say is, yes, what is keeping the Leafs close is that even when Tavares, Marner, Hyman aren't scoring, they're keeping the Bruins level. And what will help elevate the Leafs is if they are able to, you know, get that offensive production. It didn't happen for Winnipeg. You were bringing that up. Winnipeg in the last two games, but let's not remember in game five, I believe it was game five, they were winning that game. They were up. And then it it just went off the rails. I think part of that had to do with a confidence. They they just looked like deer in the headlights. And St. Louis knew they had Winnipeg on the ropes. Their big and what usually helps a team get over that is if your star players decide, okay, I'm going to take this game over. Colorado when they were down when they lost that first game for nothing and everyone was just like. All right, no, this is how the series is going to go. Colorado doesn't stand a chance. Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ranton, and their two top goal scorers decided we're not going to just, you know, sit down and take this. And they they pretty much won them that series. That's what the Leafs are going to need if they want to win tonight. Marner, Tavares, Austin Matthews has to continue what he's been doing. Those guys are going to have to say, we're not going to let this turn into what happened last year. We are going to take this team on our backs, and we're going to you know, help elevate the other guys. It has to come from the stars, and we all know that. Well, it's, it's, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure I agree 100% with what you're saying, but I do agree that the star players on the lease, like Matthews, who has – found his goal-scoring touch in the playoffs, scored uh, five goals in his last four games, I think. Um, you know, it, he's a star. He's finding the net. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what hockey comes down to in the playoffs, it's not just about scoring. It's about defense. The Leafs, unfortunately, are being crippled by a defensive part of their game. That defensive part is penalty killing. This is a team that a short time ago, they were almost perfect on penalty killing. Is it the Bruins are the Leafs kryptonite? And can the Leafs, they've had, they've had games where they're, where they're, you know, penalty killing defense, even their penalty killing offense, if you will, has been very effective. How much do they need that? They need Lander to play well. I think the next thing that, that they need to do is to neutralize the Boston Bruin power play. I agree 100%. What the Leafs have done very well in the series is they have been very good at even strength. What has cost them games, especially the last game, is their penalty kill. And it's not just 
the penalty kill. It's the penalties they've been taking, too. These aren't great penalties that they're taking. You know, the Dermot one where he, you know, if he just skated a little more with the brusque, he, would have, he wouldn't have had to take that tripping call. Connor Brown using, I think it was the free hand to take down a Bruin guy. It's just those are types of penalties you can avoid. And I think, you know, yeah, we, we, we know because uh, we've seen it in the past that the Bruins will take advantage of, of those power play opportunities. So I think, you know, in game, uh, game five in Boston, the Leafs did a very good job of, you know, even if they took those penalties, they were, you know, they, those didn't have an impact on the game. And that's going to have to be the story in Boston. And the funny thing is, you know, the Leafs' penalty kill was better at home um, at the start of the series. And then, you know, last game was probably the only game where they allowed multiple power play goals. Um, and that's going to have to change in game seven. It, it doesn't help when uh, the opposition seems to have a little bit of an advantage when it comes to the, the guys that blow the whistles. Uh, again, um, I've stated before the playoffs, I've stated during the playoffs, and I will remind folks that Chara has a free license to commit fouls, and the, and the referees in the league just ignore it. Um, Jake Muzzin goes into the corner. So Daniel Chara leaps and smashes Muzzin's head against the glass. Now, Muzzin's okay, tough guy that he is, but this is the kind of stuff that just makes the league look bush. Clearly, he jumped in the air. Clearly, he took Muzzin's head into the glass. Clearly, he's tall enough that he doesn't need to leap to do that. He could do it just being his normal vertical self. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Like when a guy that tall leaps to hit somebody, that's a little overkill in my opinion. You can't say that, oh, no, he hit him because he's taller. Then why did he need to leap? What was the need to leap? Yeah, no, it's funny. I was going to bring this up that uh, the Bruins coach, Bruce Cassidy, said in the media yesterday that the Bruins complained to the head of officiating about the Leafs, apparently they're, you know, for slew footing. I'll simplify it as that. And I said to myself, are you being serious right now? You're, and as you just mentioned, your star defenseman, your best defenseman, who is six foot nine, went after, you know, went to lay a hit and found it necessary to leave his feet and make contact with the guy's head along the boards. Now, I know the NHL it will say, oh, but it wasn't the primary point of contact. I feel like that's a big issue with head contact. The NHL is that they're saying it's not the primary point of contact. But if you make contact with a guy's head against the glass, against guy the glass, like Char, <laughs> who's 260 pounds, like Char is not a small guy. Any impact he's going to have is going to, it's not, you know, like hitting it's like a pillow. You know, he's, it's going to be hurt. That cannot happen. It's still a if charge. To, it's still a charge. That's charging. It's a charge. Leaping 100%. in the air to hit somebody, especially, you know, this is why, this is why, you know, this, this is, if, if that's, if that's Nazem Kadri doing that, he gets a five, six game suspension. 
because if the least if Muzzin would have just done what the Bruins like to do is pretend they're hurt, fall to the ice, as they've done repeatedly, then there'll be a you know, a hue and cry about a violent act. And then the political wheels start turning and then the league follows suit and, and offers the penalty. But nobody even mentioned well they did actually in the broadcast. They did mention they said and I quote Leaf fans were upset with that call. Not the Leaf broadcasters, the Leaf fans. The Leaf broadcasters were very upset with the goal that was allowed by the Leafs, Matthews, in the crease incident. Yeah. They are okay. You know, this is the part that bothers me. I know you work for them, but but this is the part that bothers me. They don't they don't have any problem with taking the side of the Bruins and stating it with their voices, without subtlety. But they have a problem supporting the Leafs when a foul was committed against them, where they then replaced with, maybe that was a dirty play. Instead, they say, well, the Leaf fans weren't happy with that, almost to suggest that that was not really that big a deal. That a six foot nine guy jumps in the air to hit somebody against the glass. He jumped in the air a mere few feet, a foot or two away from the boards. His intention was to hit the guy higher. Anybody who doesn't see that clearly, clearly doesn't want to see it. And that, and, and that is where uh, why year after year I get a little upset with the way Chara gets away with stuff. And then they say because he's so tall. Again, this time, was his height an issue? Or was he trying to be taller than six foot nine? <laughs> well, it's just yeah. I mean, I I, I watched. I remember I watched that that Matthews call a million times. You know, I, I feel like yeah. Did he bump Rask? Yes. Did he impair his ability to make the save? Which is that's what goal. I think you know the coach, the Bruins coach said. It shouldn't matter whether he impaired his ability to make safe. He made contact with them. I said, well, let's be real here. I've seen in the crease. In the crease. And, I mean, he wasn't exactly right in the blue paint. He was right at the edge of it. I have seen right. way worse stuff get called back. I think goaltender, it has to be blatant that he is actually interfering with his ability. If he bumps them, let's be real here. Come on. If he takes them out of position, Fine. Rask was still on his feet. He, you know, even uses Hyman to brace himself. He didn't exactly fall. And if that would make a goalie fall, then, you know, that's a little sad. That's my opinion on that. Um, when it comes to the way, look, I think they're trying very hard. I mean, I can't speak for them because I don't know. Now, you can that's actually. Not my area. You can actually. Hang on, hang on, David. David, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Because... Don't, uh, I'll, 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 I'll go where you don't want to go to. You're not in a hurry to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right to it. Earlier this year, they were disallowing goals left and right. Yeah. Even when the guy was breathing on the goaltender. True or not? Very true. Right? So then they decided, the league in its infinite wisdom said, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, it's hard enough to score a goal. Now we're disallowing goals on the on the supposition that maybe, just maybe, he had a chance to play that puck. We know for the most part he had no chance. 
But we have to we have to we have to take the goalie side on this and say, well, if the guy was there, if it looked like he might have interfered with the goaltender, it's not a goal. End of story. Well, that changed. If one remembers, which which I do, soon after the the Matthews goal that was disallowed because of a, a crease violation, it was a crease violation which involved a goaltender that was on the opposite side of the net, chose to lay down on the ice, and then it was deemed that that he was being held from making a save, which he wasn't, because he wasn't even looking where the puck was. He had no idea where the puck was. And and Matthews, if you remember, had that tap-in in the empty net. Do you remember the play I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes, I do. And they disallowed the goal, correct? They disallowed the goal. Then there were a couple of more goals that week, that very week. There were like two or three similar to that, motivated the same way. Regardless of whether the goalie could make a play on it, there was interference. Therefore, it's not a goal. They changed it. And and what, what irritates me is that the Sportsnet group forgot that or chose to forget the fact that there was an about face by the National Hockey League who decided to promote the idea of having a goal rather than a disallowed goal. They started to say, you know what, if there isn't a definite interference with the goaltender to make the play, then it's not going to be called goalie interference, which essentially is exactly what they said was the reason why they counted the goal for Matthews. Because as, as, as time improved, and then it really irritated me when, when, when the Sportsnet crowd were making excuses for Rask, saying then they had that immediate, the second goal was exactly like the first goal. Rask was on, on the left side of the net looking at the shooter from the shooter's view, and the shooter had the net to shoot at. And this time, it didn't go to the corner. It went to the middle of the net, and Rask didn't even get there. That goal proved the first goal was a good goal in my mind. Rask was not moving horizontally well, and he was incapable of doing that. He proved in that second goal that he would never have got the first one. He proved it to me. I mean, the facts are there. The video evidence is there. It passes the eye test. And and that's what I find most irritating is that, um, you know, bottom line, what I find most irritating is that in Canada, our broadcasters bend over backwards to defend the National Hockey League. Uh, appear, try to appear to be not on anyone's side, and in the process do actually take a side. They take the other teams outside of Canada's side. We saw for the first time, we saw in Calgary, I think the fans and, and, and everybody are fed up with that kind of attitude from the, the Hockey Night in Canada folks and the Sportsnet folks, who they need to be a little more on the side of the Canadian teams. Why do I say that? Because if you look at the U.S. broadcast, they do the exact same thing. They take the side of their team. If you listen to the Bruin broadcast, you should hear some of the stuff they say and how they see what's on the ice. So, you know, that's an inherent political advantage for the American teams over the Canadian teams. That's my opinion. As much as people will not like that opinion, I really don't care. Because what I'm saying passes the eye test. It truly does. It's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing to give Canadian hockey fans that little respect. That's the part that bothers me more than anything. 
And I've seen it repeatedly and will continue to see it. As I said, I pointed out examples. Chara laid a hit like like Kadri, and Kadri gets lambasted by the home team broadcaster, the home country broadcaster, right? Chara does something similar. They don't say anything. They attribute it to the, the league fans. And I'm waiting to see what happens with P.K. Subban, who laid a hit the other day, very similar to the one that Kadri laid that got him a, what, a three-game suspension, four-game suspension last year? You know, this is, games, yeah. this is what, you know, this is what irritates me. That hit was a total re- replication of the Kadri hit. It replicated it. Even the emotion behind him doing it. He was pissed and he was going to get even. Sound familiar? <laughs> yep. I will, and I'm what afraid I will to say, do that. Yeah. Now, what I will say, the uh, the, only, the difference people will try to make with Kadri and Subban is Kadri has a history. That's usually what everyone points to in those but, uh, but, scenarios. But, David, how does one acquire mm-hmm. a history? How does one acquire a history? Repeated well, offenses, to, right? Repeated offenses, correct. Repeated offenses, Right. But what if other players are, are creating are, are performing the same event offense and they're not getting penalized? Does his history actually reflect his behavior? As you get what I'm saying? If you don't give Chara a boarding penalty, if you don't give PK Subban a boarding penalty, in the manner that you gave Kadri. You're saying it's okay for them to do what Kadri does, which isn't fair, well, which is not fair. Oh, well, I'm not saying it. If you I'm don't saying that penalize them, there's no history. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm not saying that he shouldn't get suspended. I'm saying he probably won't get the same amount as Kadri because Kadri has that history Agreed. where that's how the CBA works. Look, we saw Kucherov. I agree with something you. pretty similar. And he got a game for it, you know, and Kucherov doesn't have a right. long, I think Kucherov might have had a fine or something like that. They will suspend them. I mean, I don't know if Subban is supposed to have a hearing. I never looked into that. Um, it, it, you know, it's, uh, it's one thing about, you know, yeah, everyone, I look at any, any team in the, uh, I think I look at Twitter all the time, and that's usually an issue on my part. Um, but every fan base feels like there's a bias against their team. We know that. And in the case of uh, certain players, I, and even certain players feel like there's a bias against them. I guarantee Nazan Kadri feels that way. I, I think you this know. A, I want to make come, one thing. I want to make one thing clear though before before you go on. <laughs> I don't defend sure. what Kadri did. That's not what I'm I don't doing. Either. Yeah. What no, I'm I don't saying, I want to make make sure that, that you understand what I'm saying. A penalty is a penalty is a penalty. Not because of who performs it, not who does, not who's the victim, but there should be no jerseys, no numbers, no names, only the action. But unfortunately, the National Hockey League doesn't behave that way. So go ahead. Yeah, continue. 
Yeah. So, no, and I think you're right. I think, you know, there's times where the NHL, you know, and from what I can see right now, it doesn't look like Subban's getting anything. Um, but when, you know, when you look at um, that, you know, that sometimes plays a factor, and it shouldn't. Obviously, you know, I think what happened with in uh, in Subban's case, and I uh, just looking back at the hit, Jamie Ben got up. And, you know, if J.B. Ben had stayed down, that, you know, yeah. And I think that's why, you know, DeBrus did the right, in you know, quote-unquote did the right thing if he wanted to get Kadri in trouble. He went down. Um, right. And that's, and that's how you, you sell the call. And, I mean, obviously, uh, I don't agree with that. I don't, I, I don't agree with what Kadri did. I'm right, you're right on that. I just don't agree with how, you know, there's a certain label and it, you know, it doesn't look good on, you know, when, when we're complaining about, you know, when, when we feel like we're always complaining because we always feel like we're getting the wrong end of things when, you know, there's some legitimacy to it. I'm not saying that everything is worth complaining about, but yeah, there are things that, you know, I feel like Lisa. It's, it's not about complaint. you know. I I I I don't. I'm not. I'm not complaining about anything. Uh, it's not a complaint mm-hmm. at all. I'm just. I'm. I believe that I saw. I saw. I believe what I saw with my own eyes was a player leap in the air to hit another player against the glass, regardless of the size of the player, regardless of the size of the player. Leaping in the air is charging. It's that simple. It's a penalty. You're not supposed to be able It's like taking a run at somebody. It's equal to taking a run at someone. What I find disgusting, as I said, is I hear this reverberation of this sound of people saying, well, he's tall. He can't help it. Again, I repeat, and this is my problem. So why can he jump in the air when even players who are shorter than him can't jump in the air? If there's no intent, he doesn't jump in the air. If he jumps in the air, he's trying to raise his center of gravity when he hits the player. That is what he's trying to do, and that is why you're not allowed to leap. So for me, it's not about, it's not about recurring circumstances. It's not about the fact that I think he does get away with a lot of stuff because he has a political advantage that other players don't have. And when I say political, that's all it is, because it isn't about right and wrong. It's about favoritism. It clearly is favoritism, and it, it, it passes the eye test that he has favoritism. So for me, it's about each and every call being called in the way that they should. Equal punishment for all. And, and that's what I don't like about this. Um, it's just, and, and, and I wonder, I wonder, um, you know, uh, I just wonder when I see stuff and you see some players, I understand about reputation. I run, I understand about history. I understand all about that, but history doesn't exist unless somebody makes a note of it. If we don't note history, it doesn't exist. In other words, if a player commits a foul and the league goes, ah, let's cut him a break because he's not that kind of player. He doesn't do that kind of thing. 
that's one of the things they've said about, you know, that's one of the excuses they made for Char. He's not that kind of player. Well, apparently he is. He just did it. You know, and, and that's the part that I find insulting. I find it insulting because clearly he has a blank check that other players don't have. And one of these times somebody's going to really get hurt and, you know, somebody's going to not, like, you're not going to get, like, as much as the Leafs complain about officiating, they take some pretty hellacious hits and they get right back up or do their best to get right back up. You know, that's one thing I, I am I am a, a supporter of the way the Leafs behave. You might not like the way they whine and complain, but they don't lay on the ground. You know, uh, that, that even Kadri in the instance that, that he took that knee. If you think he was faking that, that he was in pain under that under those circumstances, okay. But I disagree. I don't think he was faking. He got up and he was angry. The moment he, he you know, that's why he was so angry. And he wasn't right. But it bothers me what you said, not because you said it, David, but because it is what people believe. If he's not hurt, it's not a foul or something to that effect. Not exactly but basically something to that effect. I don't agree with that theory. The same way I don't agree, or I do agree, when, when a player lifts his stick and hits another player with it in the head, with that stick in someone's head, we don't question whether the player was hurt. We do question if he's bleeding, but we don't question whether he was hurt. We say foul, penalty, automatic, no debate, right? Of course, that's the, oh, exactly. the ones that are missed. missed. And you have every right to be irritated by it. I, I, I don't have any issue with people, you know, with, with any of that. I, I think, you know, um, you know, when you see things like that, it just, it, it rubs you the wrong way. And I totally agree. You know, when, when I saw when I didn't even, you know, initially see that chart hit until I saw the replay. And I just went like, really? Like, are we, and I'm not saying the refs are blind, but are the refs actually being serious right now that they're not, you know, seeing Chara? Like, they're not, wa- like, it's like, it's like the refs are not watching the play as it, as they should be. It's their, it's their job to be on top of those things. And, um, yeah, I, I do agree that that does annoy me when I see that. Yeah, and, and enough about that. Uh, the, the point is, if players are putting other players in danger of being hurt, they need they need to be accountable for their actions. That's all. That's my that's the main thrust of this. It doesn't matter whether whether Char did it to a leaf or did it to it doesn't matter who he did it to because I've complained about what he's done before uh, to other teams that he's gotten away with. He's gotten away with it on numerous times where his height he's used to his advantage, which is cool. That's, you know, you can't expect a guy to not take advantage of his strength. And if his strength is size, I say, that's fine. You know, that, that's, that's part of the game. His body is his body. As long as he doesn't use his body in an illegal manner, you know, um, just because he's taller doesn't mean he has the right to high stick. You know, he still has to carry his stick in a, in a safe manner. That's his responsibility. So it's not about his size. It's not about the team he plays for. It may seem that way, but when you have a couple of players that get away with a lot of stuff and they happen to play for the same teams, 
you're going to hear complaints about them. And the good news for the rest of the league is they don't have to meet the Bruins in the playoffs. So it's not a problem for them. But if you're Tampa Bay, if you're Toronto, um, you know, if you're Montreal, wait till Montreal runs into them in the playoffs one of these times. It's going to be really interesting. Then we're going to see what happens then, how the political ire of those that have power in the National Hockey League, how that, how that plays out. Mind you, though, we've seen it in past years. Boston can't pull that stuff against Montreal. Montreal has the, the anti-venom. <laughs> so, you know, we've seen it over the years. And we've also seen, you know, where, where we've had some of the best series in hockey with the Bruins in Montreal. But the fact is, the fact is, a penalty is a penalty is a penalty. And if it's not a penalty, I beg the question, why? Yeah, I, I think it's That's in, it uh, yeah, I think, I think we've beaten that topic to death. Yeah, that, totally. So the least power play has not, you know, we, we've watched it suffer throughout the whole season. We watched it at its inception at the beginning of this year, supposedly be an undefeatable force. And we found out as the season progressed, maybe not so vaunted, maybe need some work. That yeah. accentuates the problem with the penalty killing, don't you think? Uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I find the two separate things in the, in, the, in the regard that, you know, the personnel the Leafs use on the penalty kill, I mean, they're different, obviously, but I think part of it is just, you know, they have the, we've seen them have success, it's just, you know, what the Bruins do and do well, the Leafs just haven't been able to make the adjustments. I think that's been the biggest issue. Is there's been uh, there hasn't been the adjustments made. You know, when Boston scored that one goal, we saw Marner leave Marchand in a position for the shot. They brought that up um, on the broadcast. So uh, yeah, um, you know, and then the second one, Tory Krug, that shot. Tory Krug had nine shots on goal. And I kept saying, I was watching the game with my family, and I kept saying, the Leafs, I, I watched the Leafs penalty kill, and I watched the Bruins penalty kill. The Leafs penalty killers, okay, I find they're doing, they should be going above the face-off circle so that there's pressure on the guys from the point. They're collapsing too much? They're collapsing too much. The Bruins, if you watch their penalty kill, the guys are above the face-off circles. The gaps are, are a lot smaller. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I find that that they're on top of you. Yeah, the Leafs are coll- I know. I think part of the reason is the Leafs are trying to eliminate the cross crease and the backdoor passes. I think that's what they're planning. Right. But the Bruins have adjusted. They know they have a guy like Tory Krug and Charlie McAvoy that have pretty good shots from the point, and the Leafs just haven't made that adjustment. They did in Game Five. When they- Four, uh, you know the Bruins had that. Uh, I don't know how many power play goals they had in Game Four, but in Game Five we saw them make the adjustment, and then in Game Six it was back to the old story. I don't know if it's consistency. I don't know if it's guys are are fatigued. I don't know what it is, but that's something that's going to have to change going into Game Seven tonight. Special teams need to be neutral. Um, 
because of the five-on-five strength, as you said. If we add up, you know, we start adding things up. So if they can keep the power play penalty killing even with the Bruins, the fact that the Leafs are one of the best teams five-on-five, that gives that means the Leafs have an edge. If they can, if they can bring this game down to being how it's played five-on-five, the Leafs have a great shot of winning this game. It's one of the things I think they're going to have to do. How do you feel about that? Um, I think they're going to have to, yeah, I think they're going to have to have that advantage at, uh, uh, keep that advantage at five on five. They can't let the Bruins win this game on their power play. I think that's how the Bruins have been winning. Yeah, the Bruins scored that one goal, the DeBrus goal, um, at five on five, but that was the only time I felt like the Bruins were really dangerous at five on five in that game six. You saw it in Game 5. I mean, both teams weren't very good, but I felt like the Leafs had the edge because they know how to play better at 5-on-5 five five using their advantages. Yeah, they're, 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 pretty good. they're pretty good as a team. You know, they, they, they're, they're pretty workmanlike. You know, I, I know a lot of people, and, and, you know, I know a lot of people feel that the uninventive nature of the offense and defense that Babcock preaches takes away the ability of the stars on the team to be stars. Do you think that's an issue? Uh, I was actually reading. Uh-oh. I was listening to sounds something. Like, sounds reading. like you're contemplating it. Say <laughs> something. I saw a clip, somebody uh, sent it to me. The Babcock, um, back in Game 7 when he was with Detroit, they were playing against Anaheim. Babcock decided, you know, going into the game, he was going to put Datsuk and Zetterberg together against Anaheim to see what Anaheim would do. And this was on the road, so they didn't have the the chance of match line. Babcock did that just to see what you know, Bruce Boudreau, who was the coach in Anaheim, would do it. And Anaheim had no response for it. I'm, I'm, one thing I've been wanting the Leafs to do, and this is something that the Bruins have done over the series, they moved Pasternak away from Bergeron Marchand. That's right. Why hasn't Babcock considered, you know what, why don't I move Marner with Matthews and put a guy like Kapanen in with Tavares. Just just not even for the whole game, just for a, a period of the game, just to see what the Bruins would do. That's something I wish I, – and we and that reason why I brought the Babcock story about Detroit is we've seen him do it before. Is he Would he consider it this time around? I, that's something I'd like to see. Here's, here's, how, here's how I'll illustrate it. We know the Leafs play four lines. We know that. And we know Babcock yeah. likes to do that. We know he has faith in the four lines. And I think his faith in the four lines, in all honesty, I think his faith in the fourth line is really them being the third line. Because I, I, I really don't think the third line, you brought it up earlier, and here's, here's what I think should happen, and we might see it tonight. Can you imagine if he sits uh, if he sits Brown and and uh, um, my goodness Harlow 
Yes, thank you. All of a sudden, drawing a blank. Imagine if he sits Brown and Marlowe out, and he sends just for a shift here and there, sends Matthews and Marner out with Nylander. Just for the I'm, odd shift. I, I, that's something I'd like to see. Yeah, I think, you know... Can you imagine? I mean... Can you look, imagine if, the if, reaction if, by the Bruins? I, I could... Oh, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a guy that's, being, that's big on, you know, do whatever you can to win. This is like, this is the game where you have to pull out all the stops in order to do what you can. Exactly, because what's happening when the Bruins make that, that move to put Pasternak on a different line? What they're actually doing is, they're putting a lesser player on the bench and not sending him out. Agree? Yeah, I mean, look, it, what the message. So you're increasing to... you're increasing the success possibility for the line, aren't you? Yeah, because you're telling the Bruins, you, if you're going to beat us, beat us with our best players going up against your best players. That's right. the message you're sending. He's got to shorten the bench tonight. He has to shorten the bench. He has to, Babcock has to do that. He has to show, you know, uh, he's been outcoached, not because he's not any smarter or not as smart as the other coaches this year. It's because the other coaches have taken advantage of Babcock's predictability, in my opinion. It's time for Babcock to be unpredictable. Yeah, I I 100% agree, and that's, that's been the biggest criticism for Babcock with Sands. And look, a lot, you know, there's warrant to that. You know, when your team, you know, for that 30-minute stretch did not look good, there should have been a, a change somewhere done in the lines. And there if wasn't. you need a goal, put the guys out there that have the ability to give it to you. Exactly. I, I agree that that's... It's really simple. That. It's not rocket science. No, and like, look, if we see it, how is he not seeing it? I, I, I somebody brought up stubbornness. I think there is some stubbornness in that. You know, he's uh, he's a guy that doesn't and the fact want he to. likes Marlowe, and the fact yeah. he likes his fellow Saskatchewan. Boy, he likes Marlowe. He likes Brown. He likes he likes their work ethic. He as I always joke around, he calls them good pros. You know, he likes that work ethic. That's great. And I'm That's just, great. But if you're behind, yeah. if you're behind three two. If you're behind three two, if if you really believe what we're if we believe what we're hearing, okay, and and this is what we're hearing in 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 deference to those two players, those two players bring you as you said good pros, right? Which is basically a statement that says these guys when I put them on they're not going to hurt us, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean I get that. But the thing is, sorry, David, but the thing is, we've got a couple of young pros who are starting to prove that they won't hurt you either in Matthews and Marner. What's wrong with putting them out there an extra shift? So that means you don't put Marner out on the penalty kill. So what? You know, you've got, you've got, you've got enough guys that can kill penalties. You've got Brown killing penalties. You know, so if you're worried about, you know, giving too much time, TOI, to, to Marner or Matthews, 
in the last game of the season, because that's what this is. Tonight is the last game of the season in reality. And if you don't look at it as the last game of the season, it will be. That's the simple opinion that I have. Ball in your court, my friend. Yeah. Look, I mean, if it works, I've seen numerous teams do it. We've seen teams who don't do it, and they get, you know, and now they're not in the playoffs anymore. Like, look, Calgary, Tampa, how many of these, look, almost every single division leader except for Washington is out of the playoffs because the other teams made adjustments and the other teams couldn't, they they were stomached. With no No response. response. They cannot have a game where there's no response if the Bruins throw something at you that you haven't seen before. Now, Babcock is usually one of the better coaches at preparation. In-game adjustments, I think that's where people are feel like the stubbornness comes in, and that has to change. We're, I think you're totally right. It has to change because, look, if you lose this game tonight... Desperate time. Desperate time is required. Desperate measures. <laughs> and these are desperate times. Game seven on the road. Yeah, like you know, like th- this is this is not you know. I-, I understand people are like, oh, it's a process. The lead. like no, like I understand that you know you want to have a competitive window open. You need to show that you're you're learning and you're going forward. You lose in the first round again, where. That's why Game Six so much because it was right there for them to take, and they didn't have the effort you wanted to see. There wasn't any. That's what infuriates me. In Game they Seven, didn't, they didn't treat it like a, they didn't treat it like a Game Seven. They treated no. it like they had another kick of the can, right? But now it's not Game Six any longer. It's, it's do or die. There is no. There is no tomorrow unless you act like there isn't. See, that's the problem. That's the, the problem in my mind that, that I guess my mind. Listen, I'm not as good a coach as Babcock is, never will be. Do I understand no. the game more than Babcock? Hell no. But there's the saying that I, that I, even in my expertise, in my field of expertise, that I always remember and when around other people who don't understand what I do as well as I do, haven't earned the, the, the experience or respect or the appreciation that I have in what I do. I still every so often remember this phrase, a babe in the woods. You know, even a babe in the woods, a person who has no understanding, at least no, no, no understanding in the, in, in, in the normal sense of what they're looking at. Sometimes that blank page that looks at something that unexperienced look at something offers an angle that the person, you can't see the forest for the trees. And that's why I consider what I'm saying, why I think it's important, to me at least, and why I think what you're saying is important to you. Because we're not, we're not, we're not constrained by some of the obvious and or typical reasons why we shouldn't think the way we do. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, we have no, a freedom I, I agree. to make it to see something with a whole different attitude. And that's why you were fans. 
Well, yeah. I mean, look. No, I'm I'm letting I'm letting it go to voicemail. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Um, no, and I I, I no agree worries. with that. You know, <laughs> I have we have a voice recorder for a reason. Um, uh, okay, like uh, a dentist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> voicemail. Uh, sorry. Um, voicing your opinion as a fan is your right. No. Re- and I think when you see it, and other people see it, and multiple people see it, it just for it helps legitimize your your thoughts. And I I think that's why you know I, when I see one person kind of throw out something, but nobody else is really agreeing with it, and it's like eh, I don't think you're on the right track there. But when you and I have the same thought process, and other people have the same thought process, that's where you know it you know a fan's passion and their thought you know and their opinion gets a little more legitimacy so yeah we're, we're not we're not better coaches than you know the under, the, yeah you know the Go other ahead. underlining support for what we're saying you know what the other underlining support for what we're saying is coaches get fired so they're not always yeah. right <laughs> and look and there's there's been general managers who have Fired coaches, and then look. Actually, the best example: Florida Panthers. They have one of their best seasons in recent memory with Gerard Gallant. Next season, things aren't going so well. People have these opinions. No, the management has one opinion. The ownership has another. The coach leave gets fired. He goes to Vegas, and now two straight playoff appearances, one Stanley Cup final appearance. That's, I think, where the danger lies in that you have to, you know, we've seen improvements with this Leafs team under Babcock. Three straight playoff appearances. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's been been a wonderful, he's been a wonderful addition on behalf of Leaf fans. No one, no one is going to take that away from nobody here either on either of these mics. I know for a fact is not saying that, you know, time for Babcock to go. What we're talking about is maybe he should try a tweak he hasn't tried to get a different result. You know the old thing, if you keep doing the same thing, you know, you get the same result. I'll even go one step up on that. We heard last year Matthew said, oh, it would be nice if I got to play with Marner. And he and exactly. he threw that out there. You don't think Matthews made that request to Babcock? I guarantee. In private. In private I guarantee <laughs> he did. You know, Absolutely. that's something. That's where I think you know. I, I think that's what at least fancy Matthews and Marner. I remember I watched one game where they played together. Matthews played really well. They had success. And then what happened? He switches back to what happened before. You know, it's those moments where because, you're just like... Because they were defensively irresponsible. It, it, yeah. You know, you're right. Earlier this year, there were there was a, a game where uh, he tried it, and then because he tried it, people said, why don't you try it again? And he did try it again, and then it ended after that. And it ended because the two players, for whatever reason, gave the impression that they were not responsible defensively. But I think I think 
they've matured enough that I think, I think, really honestly, I think the two of them should should grab Nylander by the ears and say it's time to go to work, buddy. We're going on mm-hmm. the line together, and 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 basically, you know, uh, we we've seen look. We've seen it in this series. Pasternak is a key player for the Bruins, plays on the top line. They split them up. The reverse is true as well. You've got players that are really good that could make a super line, and you can put them together. You don't have to do it permanently. You just get the other side thinking. They just start thinking. You know, Now the coach is wondering. Now he's going, shoot, do I have to now look at my bench and think about he's going to throw – Matthews, Marner, and 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 uh, Nylander are out there. What am I going to do about that? You know, who am I going to put out there? You know, that's what that, that's where you and I, I think, are are, are uh, agreeing. That's uh, where we are agreeing in regards to what Babcock can do uh, that could maybe change tonight's game favorably for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sometimes change is good. Yeah, no, and, and, you know, we're not suggesting he do it the whole game. We're suggesting throw no. it out there once in a while. Pasternakian. Yeah, I agree. I think you have to always have that willing, because if Cat, Bruce Cassidy knows that Babcock isn't willing to make the change, he has nothing to worry about. His right. game plan doesn't doesn't change. His game plan is just, Okay, we're gonna. These are the lines. We know they're gonna fill them out. Is X Babcock amount of seeing that move for another series? Is that like sometimes I wonder, you know, whether teams have these good ideas that they're holding back because they want to use it at a better time in their mind. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I always and sometimes that I think too. that yeah. it's like that trick play. It's like the trick play. You know, we, we follow football together, right? And we know that in football there are trick plays. You can't use them all the time. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the reason why he doesn't use it. He's saving it for another day. Well, the one thing I will say is, um, yeah, I think Cassidy threw, put out his big bullet, in, you know, that bullet in the chamber that he had. Okay, my big line isn't working. I got to split it up. He's already made that move. Maybe Babcock is... Right. Is, is is not willing to give his best move up just yet. I mean, it would have been nice if he made the change when he had the chance to win the series yesterday. I think so. But yes. that could be a that I, I could see it that way, I think, for um, for that, yeah. You know, I, I but I also think when it comes to making moves, right, as much as you're giving up an idea or a threat or a a tweak that you don't want the opposition to know, I think what it does also, you know, it, it doesn't only prepare them to say, oh, 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 he might do this. It also means that if they know that he might do this, they have to prepare for him that he might do this. Now they're yeah. preparing for something that he might do which means they're spending less time preparing themselves for something that he does do. <laughs> See, to me, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. I think that's the beauty of football, right? The playbook is huge. You know, I'm sure it's huge in a way in, in, in hockey. 
I, I don't know, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure they have literally playbooks that they go into the coach's room to discuss like they do in football and hockey. But the fact remains, you know, the, the more things that you do, the more you have to prepare, right? And the more you prepare, the more you're not preparing for stuff that might actually happen, is my point, basically. Yeah. I think I think that I think you're totally right on that. And that that's something I guess we'll both be watching closely tonight. Well, look for it. Remember I told you a few weeks ago, Muzzin and Muzzin and Gar uh sorry. Uh Muzzin and and um and oh geez. Zeitsev was my suggestion to put them together before it happened. Um and it and for whatever reason he's done it. Uh, it, it's worked, you know. He, he uh, Babcock has tried something different. He he moved, uh, you know, a defenseman that he's realized Muzzin is no good on the right side. Agree? Mm-hmm. Yep. And Zaitsev is a guy that needs somebody that's more dependable than Gardner on his on on the other side. Someone that that's more predictable. I believe because Zaitsev, for whatever reason, can't handle uh, the unpredictability of Gardner, for whatever reason. Is it a problem with Gardner? Is it a problem with Zaitsev? It doesn't really matter. It's just the combination doesn't work well because of that. So he's turned around and given, like he did with, with, uh, with Kadri, he's handed out responsibility to Zaitsev that none of us would have thought that he'd be willing to take the risk of putting Zaitsev up against the number one line. And he's done it. I think a lot of us would, would believe that, you know, we're not surprised that Muzzin's out there, you know, at least reputation-wise. No one should be surprised that Muzzin is playing against the number one line of the Bruins by virtue of his experience in being a shutdown defenseman with, you know, a, a, a Norris Trophy winner in L.A. Doubt it. So, you know, and then you're able to allow... And, and we need a little more of that, I think, if you're a Leaf fan and if you're the Leafs. You need a little more of Riley free to do what he can do. Use his feet and his shot to Leaf advantage. And because they've taken him away from the first line, he has a, a little more room to do what we think is, you know, um, an asset of his, right? Yeah. Exactly, you know. I think um, I, you know, somebody was telling me he has uh, my cousin said he has in mind how Zaitsev has played, and I said, well, look at who he's playing with. Um, Morgan Raleigh, what I think was one of the better Leafs, has been one of the better Leafs defensemen in this series because his game has remained steady even with the increase in minutes and pressure. Um, mm-hmm. I I think when we saw Hainsey leave the game on Sunday, in that time period, the mm-hmm. Leafs didn't look the same. And then when he came back, things kind of kind of calmed down a bit, you know. And I see him all the time on the bench, talking with the defenseman. He's that calming right. influence. I know people have their opinions on how much you know him playing with Riley and all that. When I see a guy like that talking with these guys, you know, 
that's something that that's something that is so invaluable because not every team has the important that. Neil, you're, you're 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 right and 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 if I may add this it's not so much about him talking to the players what you're referring to if I may say it differently is they're listening to him yeah you know I you look at one thing that so, somebody brought this up and I couldn't believe it the Tampa Bay Lightning had no player on their team with the Stanley Cup ring. Not one player had won the cup. And if you're a cup contender, wow. what's the one thing that is you hard to want? believe. It is. And like, look, that is hard Stamkos, to believe. Those guys have been to the cup final, but they haven't won before. It's having those guys that have been through adversity, that have been through and done it and seen it, they can say, look, this needs to change, and takes. the guys will listen because they know that's what it takes because this guy has done it. Hainsey's done it. Muzzin has done it. Uh, Marl has almost done it. He's done the Olympic stuff. I know that. You know, Tavares has had his international success. He hasn't won the cup. I know that. You know, those are the guys that you look at and say, okay, you know, this guy has been through – the ring, you know, he's had his experiences. This is a guy we need to look at and listen to. I think that's what I mean. The Leafs have done better at this year than maybe in the past, and that's something that's going to have to be the case tonight. Um, but yeah, and they're I up think, against a team with a boatload of, with a boatload of experience, not only winning cups but being deep in playoffs. Yeah. You know, since two thousand and. Ten? Uh, how long has it been since Chara's been in? Not 2005, right? That's too long. He hasn't been there for 14 years. Uh, well, 2008, 2007, I think, is when he got no, I, there. And the team had... I think he, hmm? Are we talking about just in Boston alone or in, in the league? Yeah, just in Boston. No, no, just in Boston. I would say, yeah, They won the Cup in 2005, didn't they? They won the Cup in 2005, didn't they? Well, he's Luchara. been in Boston since he's been there since oh six oh seven, and they won their okay. They won their first cup in twenty eleven. That was the year that they won with uh, Tim Thomas and. Uh, so it was two ten. So was ten when Chara got yeah. there? Something to that, right? And yeah, Tim yeah. Thomas was there, and and the second time they went up after that. That's when you know. Well, they had, of course, of course, um, um, Bergeron was there when they won the cup. You yeah. know, both Bergeron and and uh, the Daniel Chara, guys with a boatload of experience. Because I don't respect the way Chara plays, and I don't respect the way he he has, you know, been given an advantage that many other players don't get doesn't mean I don't respect the way he plays and don't have respect for his ability and for the history that he has created in his hockey life. You know, you can be a, you can be a good player, a good person, and have some qualities that maybe aren't like. But for the most part, 99.9% of Chara, like Bergeron, is about dedication to winning, a talent that drives you and an ability to know what it takes to win. 
And that's in that dressing room. And that's what the least and every other team has to counteract. You know, it's the same reason why when Pittsburgh decides to play, they can win. When L.A. decides to play, they can win. When Chicago decides to play, they can win. And I know, folks, I'm talking about teams that didn't even make the playoffs. But bear in mind, uh, they'd have some handicaps that have caused them to arrive at that place. But the fact is, once they end up with the right support staff in Chicago, L.A., Pittsburgh, what the Leafs are hoping for is that's what they have with Matthews, Marner. Um, they were hoping Nylander. And, and, you know, that's what they're hoping, that those guys are going to be so good that they're going to lift the other players. And, and they, they, David, this is what you were talking about earlier, you know, and this is what I was talking about earlier. History has to start somewhere. That was my whole point about Chara not being penalized so he doesn't have a history next time. If you don't win something big, you don't have a history to build on. This is the least opportunity tonight to create an historical moment for these young players that are on the team that many in Leaf Nation believe that these guys are going to be central to a to a, a, a team that will be among the best in the league in the next whatever amount of years. For that to happen, they have to start tonight with a win in Boston. Yeah. I mean, I and you bring up the Chicago, L.A., Pittsburgh. All those teams did have their shortcomings, but it may, you know, and then they learned from them. I mean, I look at uh, Pittsburgh. I mean, this year, obviously different, but in past years, the last two years, people never thought they would have made the Stanley Cup Finals. Crosby and Malkin decided, you know what? It's going to be on us to get our team there, and that's what happened. And that's what you expect. But they can't do it alone. They need, you know, no. the point I was trying to make, yeah. the point I was trying to make that, that you made and make it in a, in a more, in a different way, is that as important as those players are, if they don't have the support cast around them, if they can't afford to bring the support cast around them, if the players aren't healthy, that could be the support cast around them, aren't healthy, all these things affect the level of play that you can have. In the case of Pittsburgh, they lost to a team that wanted to win more than them, a team that had a system which could negate their ability to win. So the opportunities of a hockey team do not strictly, as you said, do not strictly relate to individuals. They also relate to the atmosphere those individuals play in. You know, all those coaching, commitment, hard work, you know, the negative things I talk about with Nylander, those are the things you don't want on a team. Can they survive with that kind of player on their team? Time will tell because we really don't know that. Because if you think about it, if you think about this, David, imagine on another team that's won a Stanley Cup that they have a player who may appear to be not focused well enough, maybe even be selfish. There aren't many Stanley Cup champions that have those kinds of players on their team, David. Think about it. And that's going to be on the collective group 
to make sure that every player is ready to go and and accountable for that. And that's and Definitely. that's where the real leadership that you were referring to that a guy like Hainsey brings to the team, even a guy like Muzzin, right? What they bring is accountability. No excuse. You know, I I know for a fact, and then you have Tavares. You remember Tavares tearing a strip. I think he was tearing a strip off Nylander. I can't imagine the kind of strip that he was getting torn off him in the dressing room after that play. I can't imagine how Tavares might have been. Can you imagine Tavares allowing something like that to happen? To be, in my opinion, afraid to look in his feet for the puck? To not be ready for that pass? To not at least get an opportunity out of it? Tavares would be kicking his own butt up and down the ice. Yep. So, you know, and I don't think he's, I don't think he suffers fools. I don't, I think Tavares, um, you know, has to be very careful, you know, with, with, he doesn't look like he's, you know, I can do it. I'm just a, I'm just a, a fan caster. I can say that kind of stuff because I'm not relevant to the team. But the players have to be very careful about that. Public displays of, of dissatisfaction um, need, need to be limited. You know, it's like, you know, we've heard over and over again. There are some things that stay in the dressing room. They have to for the survival and success of a team. But eventually, players are going to get fed up with a guy, and a Stanley Cup champ has no weak links. It's the truth. Folks, every team that wins the Stanley Cup doesn't have players whose willingness to play is, you know, is questioned. And take a look at a guy like uh, uh, like Kessel, whom some people considered, or I think mistakenly, I know mistakenly in my opinion, that he didn't care. When in fact, what it is is that he cares a lot. He cares a heck of a lot. And when you see him on the ice and when they were charging for the cups that they ended up winning, was Kessel ever a selfish player? Was he ever a player that didn't try? Was he ever a player that didn't make the best of whatever opportunity he was given? Yes. He had major debates on the bench with his center. But it wasn't because he was being, you know, a bad teammate. Because he wanted to win. And that's what you need to win the cup. Tonight, the Leafs have to play like they want to win. One through 18. That's what has to happen. Yep. No, and, and that's going to be... And look, I remember uh, times where Phil Kessel went after Genny Malkin. You know, them two had their battles. And then they scored a goal what, the next time they went out the ice. <laughs> and what I remember is... What that said to me is... Phil Kessel, for all those people that said he doesn't care, look at that, and that tells you what Phil Kessel is all about. He is a guy that cares, but when the spotlight is just on him alone, like it was in Toronto, he had no support. That's where you, you know, that's where you put your stars in a tough position. I think 
what the Leafs need to do tonight is it's not on just one guy. It's on the collective group, as we've said, to get it done. And hopefully the collective group gets everybody to buy in how we think they should be. And it has to happen. And how will we know the Leafs are ready to win tonight? We hear Don Cherry talk about watching the Bruins' first couple of shifts, and he can tell if they're going to win that night. The same is true for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And how will we know that they have a shot to win tonight? It will be, once again, what they've done over and over again in this series. When, when they've been successful, they have been, as, as much as we contradicted it on this show, when they're robotic-like and business-like, They've got a good chance. But the one thing we need to see, it's not as easy as when Cherry talks about the Bruins. Uh, Leaf watchers, we have to be a little more intuitive. The Leafs have to be robotic. And what we've agreed, at least David and Frank have agreed to, correct me if I'm wrong, David, is there has to be a little inventiveness. This is a team that doesn't rely on, on intimidation. This is not a team that relies on cheap shots. This is a team that has to do it with their talent. And if, 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 again, if he maximizes Babcock, if he maximizes the ability of the least talent to expose itself tonight, we could see a historical moment in Maple Leaf history. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely right. So we'll see. We'll find out. Uh, is this uh, the team that finally brings Leaf Nation to its feet again? As happened, you know, this is a team with a victory here uh, tonight could be on their way to equaling not the Maple Leafs of 1967 or previous Stanley Cup champs, but this could be the team that equals the level of success attributed to people, coaches like Pat Quinn, Coach Burns, players like Dave Andrichuk, Gilmore, Clark, Sundin, and then a bit back a bit further back, Nielsen, Sittler, McDonald, Turnbull, even even for those that are, that are a little bit not as old, Nick Borshevsky, Cujo, Belfour. These are these are players that can elevate themselves pretty much with just a victory tonight to the level of those players, or at least be on the cusp of that. Looking at Sittler, who made it, you know, against the Islanders in the quarterfinal and made it to the semifinals uh, to, you know, this is, you know, it's it, we, we've seen this, this being a year where we've seen numerous records broken by this young team, records that have stood for decades. Tonight is an opportunity for this team to capture some history, create some history, excite Leaf Nation. And uh, David, the question is, we're down to the last couple of minutes. 
Do you think Leaf Nation is ready for success? Uh, you know, that's actually a good question. Um, I don't know. I, there, I think there's a good group of these of Leaf Nation that is committed and feels ready to roll with this group. I feel some just are hesitant. I'm I'm confident in that this group can get the job done based on what I've seen in these playoffs. Um, but I do agree I do think there are some that are just they're not they're not ready just yet. I don't think so. Until it happens, they'll have to grow in exactly. it. Exactly. If it happens. We're down to our last and minute, and uh, if if uh, if the Leafs win tonight, obviously we won't be doing a post mortem show. It'll be a it'll be you know uh, a show reflecting on uh, the previous playoff series and looking ahead to the next one. In the short time that we have, the Columbus Blue Jackets. There are a lot of people that are that are being very disrespectful by saying that the you know the the Stanley Cup playoffs are, are wide open. Do you consider that the case, or is Columbus a really good team that just finally found their stride at the right time? All the, all the parts are finally working in tandem, goaltending, you know, and their 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 you know deadline trades and their existing players they kept and didn't trade, and of course the other players that nobody talks about, like Atkinson, that are very important players to that team. I will say. Yeah, Columbus finally is having all the pieces working at the right time. You know, when they made those trades, Bobrovsky wasn't at his best. And then some of the players weren't performing the way they were, you know, they're expected to. I think, you know, Columbus is a team that has good pieces. I mean, I don't think they're, you can say they're the favorite, even though they beat the Lightning. No, But no. I think... I think what they've done is at least they've given themselves, you know, enough confidence to say we we did this. We've got a good group here, good coach, good goaltending, star power. That it won't be an easy ride for whoever uh, moves on to the second round. And the toughest battle will be the Leafs will have to play four games at home if it goes to seven. <laughs> 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 On that note, he's David Morris-Duty. I'm Candid Frank. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Until next time, this has been Candid Frank Live, Leaf Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, David. Thank you, Frank.